discipline. It's the virtue. It's the knowledge to navigate life as God intended it to be lived. However, we know this. We live in a fallen world. Sometimes things don't work right, right? Technology breaks down. Slides don't work the way you thought. In a far greater way, we feel the curse of sin in our lives, don't we? And because of sin, this path is is often hidden to us. This path is diverted and is often done by dissenting voices, calling out to us, promising the very things that the, the book of Proverbs promises, but causing confusion, promising happiness and blessedness another way. See, deep down inside all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, every person is trying to get back to the Garden of Eden. Now, they might not articulate it that way, but that is what our hearts are longing for. We know something is not right in this world. We feel it. I don't have to convince you of that. Just look outside. You walk out uh, this morning, and I was joking with my kids, and they're like, Daddy, do we need to wear coats this morning? And I said, no. It's really warm outside. Let's look. And we look at the thermostat, and it says, I said, get this, kids, nine. It is nine degrees. That's not what God intended. (laughs) We're waiting for the Garden of Eden. And so what do we do? We compensate. We put on coats. We wear warm clothes if we have them. We're warm fed. I go out and preheat the car. We're fighting the curse every morning. It's not winter, it's summer. It's too hot. Go out and turn on the AC. This is suffocating. We feel it. Everybody wants to get back to the garden. And by that, this is what I mean even more specifically. We are seeking to escape the curse of death the corruption of the body. We we long for wholeness. We long for security. We want love and companionship that never dies. We want everlasting life, a life that always satisfies. You ever notice when you go to that that favorite restaurant and you get your favorite meal, that first bite is awesome, but that last bite just isn't as good as the first? When the curse is lifted, every bite is better than the first. We long for that day. And we long to be satisfied and live the life with those we love. Everybody is screaming out, this is the way to find that. But everybody wants this on their own terms. We want to get back to Eden without Christ We might even want to create our own Eden apart from a relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the world is full of voices saying, this way to happiness, this way to wholeness, this way to blessedness. But the book of Proverbs says, no, to the one who's wise, heed my voice. Heed my voice. See, these dissenting voices take countless forms, don't they? And the book of Proverbs just categorizes these dissenting voices in a personification of a woman called Folly. Some of your translations might have it as Madam Folly or Woman Folly. 
And I want you to listen to this description that Proverbs gives, personifying these dissenting voices that say, you can find happiness and wholeness another way. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 13 and 18. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of her town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. People are walking by is the picture. And these dissenting voices are saying, come down here, look at how beautiful this path is. And they do not know that all who register at that hotel die. All who go down that path go down the path of destruction. So brothers and sisters, how are we going to make sure we're not seduced by Lady Folly? That's the question this morning. Young people, and I want to speak to our our college students, our our teenagers in particular, those who are in middle school, those who are entering those 6th, 7th, 8th grade, high school. How are you going to navigate life? Because you are now entering that stage where you're thinking on your own. You're, you're, You're branching out away from the home. Are you prepared to be able to discern Lady Folly from Lady Wisdom and know who to listen to? Parents, how are you leading your children to the path of life? How are we as a church and parents equipping you so that when your children are getting to that stage in which they are now going to walk life on their own, you're not going to be able to hold their hand forever. How are you now preparing them so that they can say, that is the voice of folly. I'm going to listen to the voice of wisdom. For the rest of us, maybe you're not a parent, how are you and I making sure we continue on the straight and narrow path? We heard in, in, in Dylan's testimony how he was on the wide path, but yet the gospel came wisdom. He heard it on the football field. He said, that I hear. He didn't articulate it this way, but this is what Proverbs is saying. You heard Lady Wisdom, and now you're here and you found life. You found life. How are we going to continue to walk down the path of life? Well, the the answer comes to us in the book of Proverbs. And it answers us this question by saying, heed the voice of wisdom. Heed it. Listen. Hear. Hear this voice. And what does this look like? Well, in three ways we're going to see in our passage this morning. Number one, cherishing the instruction of our parents. Heeding the voice of wisdom looks like cherishing the instruction of our parents. Number two, it looks like rejecting the enticements of the world. And number three, it looks like trusting the promises of our Lord. And I want us to see that, and I'm going to begin reading our passage this morning. It's Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 8, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, and I invite you to follow along with me. Hear, my son your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, 
If sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your feet from their paths, for their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the marketplace, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. Oh, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you will turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because you have called, because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. Quite pointed words, aren't they? Wisdom is crying out. And how do we heed wisdom? Well, number one, we cherish the instruction of our parents. Now, just hearing some of that, hearing that, I know some of you teenagers, I'm looking at you. Yeah, lift up your heads. Yep, 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 yep. All right, yep, check in. Cherish the instruction of your parents. Now, some of you are like, oh, brother, come on. You don't understand. My parents are not cool. <laughs> my parents are so out of touch. They don't understand me and my friends. And you know what? They might, they might not. They might not. But you're a fool if you don't cherish their instruction. You are a fool. It doesn't matter if they don't understand Snapchat. It doesn't matter if they don't understand the drama that's going on in your high school. In reality, they do. They just like, maybe know all the names of the people, but drama's everywhere. And it's, it's particularly ridiculous at your age. But it's, nonetheless, <laughs> you think it's the end of the world. And next week is totally different. 
Here's the constant. All the drama you hear in your little world, and I don't want to be condescending because I know it, it is your world at this time. It is the place, this is where you find value, this is where you find joy. I want you to know that most of the drama is dissenting voices. It's Lady Folly. And your parents are the constant that are saying, walk down the path of Lady Wisdom. You know how my mother do it, did it to me? I hated it, by the way. Every day she dropped me off at the high school, or when I would leave the house and I'd hop in my car, she would say this, remember who you are. And that was code language for, you claim to be a Christian, you need to live like it today. And I wasn't a Christian, but I hated hearing it. It brought conviction to my life. It wasn't until later when the storm came, I went back to my parents' teaching. And I knew what was the path to turn around. You need to cherish this teaching of your parents. And what is this teaching? Well, Solomon's assuming a lot here, isn't he? He's assuming here that your parents are teaching you the Word of God. They're instructing you. They're bringing you to church. They're saying, listen to your Sunday school teachers. Listen to your pastors. Listen to us as we talk about the sermons and we try to implement them in your life. Listen to us, your parents are saying. And Solomon says, heed their instruction and do not forsake it. Cherish it. Are your parents perfect? No. Will they make mistakes? Yes. But if you have a mother and father who strives to train you in the wisdom of God, you should be thankful. You should cherish that. Because if you don't have that, you have less direction. Those who are orphaned, they're in a vulnerability, aren't they? Those who do not have parents who love the Lord, they do not have the benefits that you have. And so you need to be thankful. You need to realize that the words that they offer you are more precious than gold or silver. They are better than smartphones. They are better than cars or a girlfriend or boyfriend. They're better than popularity. Because all that stuff will fade away. I had some friends in high school. I'm getting way off, but anyway. They were really successful. Juniors in high school created a tech company, started making six figures in high school. They were cool. <laughs> they were so cool, guess what they came in driving one day? They were twins. One came in in a brand new, right off the lot, Corvette. Starts parking it in the lot. These are my best friends, by the way, in high school. The other one, this is the first year the Cadillac Escalade came out. He got a write-up in, in some Cadillac newsletter that he was the youngest person to ever buy a Cadillac. You know what? If he, they were driving those cars today, they wouldn't be that cool. Because that's now, goodness, 15 years ago. You know what kind of phones we had? They were Nokia, and they were like this big. And guess what? They could hold a hundred contacts in them. Yeah. And if you wanted to get really crazy, you could go to the mall and those cool people who sit at the little stands and they have all those cases for them. You could get your team logo or tie-dye or whatever kind of design you wanted. You could stick it on there. And they had cool cases that you could clip onto your side. Coolness is temporary. That's my point. 
And what you think you must have today to exist, you don't. Solomon says, your parents offer you something far greater. Solomon describes it this way in verse 9, For their teaching is a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now this is clearly not the fashion of 2017, is it? You don't want to be, hey, 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 mom and dad, great, what'd you get for Christmas? Oh, my parents gave me a garland for my head. Now I have a wreath that looks like something you can hang on the door that I'm now wearing to school. That, that, that isn't exactly what Solomon is trying to say to us. A wreath on your head was a sign of victory. This is what was given to a victor of war. It was a sign of power, respect, high standing in life. A necklace, a pendant for your neck. It signified protection and guidance. These are symbolic. He's using the things of the world at their time. Yeah, yeah, you think that's what you want and you want to have the clothes, you want to have the goods that make you kind of show that. Well, your parents will give you something far greater than what is fashionable in 2017. They will give you something that lasts forever. They will give you life. We get a parallel description of what these terms are if you flip over to chapter 3. This is basically the same instruction, just written a different way. Chapter 3, verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching. Sounds very similar, right? But let your heart keep my commandments. Why? Here's the answer. Here's the blessing. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. That's the garland. And let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. You know what steadfast love and peace and faithfulness is? It's the loyal love of the Lord. Do not forsake the Lord. It'll be like a necklace. In your vernacular, it is the latest smartphone that you think gives so much guidance and structure to your life and gives you meaning. No, 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 no. You will have something far better. The Lord who creates all things. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. If you were to summarize, what is it that you want? Don't you want favor in the world? Don't you want God's favor upon you? And added to that, don't you want favor with fellow men and women? That's really what you're asking for as a young student, as a young person in college. That's really what all of us are looking for, right? Well, it begins in the home. And we continue on this path called wisdom. And this is the path, <coughs> excuse me, to where you find these things. You want to receive favor. Parents, even grandparents. What an incredible responsibility we have then, don't we? This is what God says is His design for the family, for the home, for your and my children and grandchildren. If we're going to take this passage to heart, if we want our, our families to find favor with God and man, we're going to have to take this task seriously. And I was recalling a, a message I preached, I don't know how many years ago, but I was here at Oak Park, I was, I was in the student ministry, and I remember appealing to moms and dads, saying, oh, how I see us giving so much attention, 
striving so hard to ensure our kids get their homework done, they arrive to practice on time, and they, they're studying for their tests, they're memorizing the things that they need to memorize to get good grades in school so that they can get into college and they can move to the next step. But the question I ask, how many of you are putting that same effort into their spiritual ed- education? How many of you are staying upon them and, and teaching them the, the words of God? The things that will be a garland for their head and pendants for their neck in every stage of life. How are we giving them an education so that they may live the life to come? Mom and Dad, we are the primary teachers of wisdom in our kids' lives. Now don't get, hear me saying that that means that you now need to homeschool or you need to become a pastor But it does mean you need to become strategic and intentional in teaching your child the wisdom of God. You must be. So how can you do that? Joshua's done a lot of work um, over the last year or so. We've been having these parent forums a couple of times a year. And we come up and and really the, the, the mindset and the heart and the goal is to help talk about these issues. We do some for the Awana kids and we do these for, for students because we recognize there are different stages of life. Trying to, to think and brainstorm and work with moms and dads and come alongside you, give you tools and resources so that you can be intentional in doing this. And one simple way just to think about it for you, and this would be good even if you don't have kids, college students, Doing this would be great. Read the Proverbs at dinner or or pick a time. Pick a chapter. I said it last Sunday. There's a chapter for every day of the month. Read one. If you have kids in your home, sit down. This is what we do at the dinner table. And we open up our Bibles, especially if if your kids can read. Maybe have them read and take turns around the table. Say, hey, can you read Proverbs chapter 1 this week? And we do it every night that we're at dinner, the same chapter, because we want to pound it in their head. Instruction is discipline, rhythm, repeat it. Just like an athlete practices and practices and practices until it becomes just ingrained in them. That's what the Proverbs are written to do. They're written in such a memorable way so that if you continue to read them and read them and read them, it begins to be absorbed in your minds. If you need more guidance... Joshua gave me this great little book. It's called Wise Up. It's 10-minute family devotions in Proverbs. Now, if you're like, hey, I I can't see that, we're going to put up on the website um, a a link to this book so that you can can use it. It's got, um, I think, 12 uh, family devotions, and it just reads a portion of Proverbs, guides you in how to lead a discussion with your children, and it's particularly written for children of younger age. This is a tool you could use. It says 10-minute devotions. Sarah, it takes us like five, right? It's nothing. It just takes time and intentionality. Do you pray with your kids? Maybe at the dinner table, maybe when it's time to go to bed. What about practicing Deuteronomy 6 when they they rise up, when you walk along the way, when when you you come home? Are you talking about the events of life regularly with with your kids? Do you watch the news with them? My kids love it when the news comes on, by the way. Oh, the news. Can we watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? No, you you already did that this morning. But you know what? They pick up on the things that are going on. You know what we get to do? You see the curse. You see this is not what God wants. 
And you begin to correct their thinking and, and show them what, what God thinks about these things. The music that they listen to, we don't have a problem. I mean, there's limits, obviously, but we, we listen to the radio in the car. And sometimes I say, we can't listen to this song. We need to turn that off. Or, hey, um, especially my older daughters, they're now beginning to, to ask, what does this mean? And that is an opportunity to begin explaining. Not shunning, explaining. Movies that we watch. I just took uh, Hannah to see that new Disney movie, Moana, about a Hawaiian girl who's running around with a rock trying to save the world or something like that. <laughs> but it taught polytheism. Instead of shunning from her from it, as I said, you know what they were really getting at? What was the whole point of the movie, Hannah? She was getting back in, in whatever the curse that was coming, destroying the land. They wanted the curse removed. You know what? That's what the Bible says, and the Bible tells us the truth. And it's not that there are many gods in the world and you just have to get them in sync. It's that there's one God and He's Jesus the Christ. Are you talking to your parents? Or I mean to your kids about the movies they watch, helping them see this. Talking about things at church, the things at school, things that go on in their neighborhood. Do you show affection and care for your children, not just like a drill sergeant? You will not eat till you memorize your scripture, you know that type of stuff? And just as a side note, do not punish your kids with memorization of Scripture. Oh, you disobeyed? Now you need to go memorize these five verses. Because now you're associating negative, that learning the Word of God isn't a blessing, it's a curse. Don't do that. It's a pendant for their neck. It's a garland for their head. I love what Solomon says as he's passing this down to his children. This, this moved me to tears last night as I was thinking about my own kids and the legacy that I want to leave. Look in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Solomon begins remembering his times with his daddy. And look at what he says. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. He's reminiscing and he's doing exactly what his daddy did with him. And oftentimes I, I lay my kids down to bed at night. Maybe we've talked about some different things. Maybe it's just silly stuff. And oftentimes I sit with them and I don't take too long. And I just said, hey, do you trust daddy? Do you know daddy loves you? Mommy loves you? They always say, yeah. I said, there's going to come a time you're not going to think we do. There's going to come a time when you think we are just not as cool as we, as we are, and we're not any fun. Grace is already beginning to learn some of that. But I want you to know we're here for you, and we want you to flourish. And I promise you, if you will listen to us, your life will go well. Your life will go well. That's what Solomon's doing here. And this is what it looks like. And children, if you have parents who are striving, yes, we're going we're gonna to mess up. But if you have parents who are doing this, you are blessed. You're gifted. And you need to cherish, cherish your parents' teaching. This teaching, this training is not sheltering. It's not sheltering. Look, wisdom equips. Let's come back to our text. Look at how this teaching begins to take shape as, as the father tells his son, reject the enticements of the world, okay? And notice, 
It's not, let me just shelter you so you never know that these things exist. No, he said, if sinners entice you, do not consent. He is preparing his son. Mom and dad, we are preparing our children to leave our purview so that they now know how to respond on their own. And he is laying it out. He is not sugarcoating it. This is what you will face one day. And when sinners entice you, when they begin to offer and solicit, hey, come with us. We've got a grand plan. You need to be able, my son, my daughter, to withstand. Do not consent. He goes on, he says, if they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. There's the, there's the lure right there. You hang out with us, we got it going. We'll find all precious goods. We will fill our houses with plunder. If you throw your lot in with us, we're all going to share it. We're all going to have one purse. This is obviously poetic. I doubt any of us had someone say explicitly, hey, let's go and lie and wait for blood. But it does happen. And what he is warning his son is how the world will make sin look attractive. He's showing him in in a poetic way what is really underneath the desire to accumulate. To take advantage of others, take advantage of the innocent so that you can advantage yourself. The world is going to entice you in this way. You deserve it. Follow your heart. Do what you think is right. And all that is hidden code language. Don't listen to the Bible. And the world is feeding you that. Every song, every movie, every sitcom. Can you sift through it? Or are you just drinking it in, saying, oh, I want to be like you. I want to live like that. I think that's the wise way. Well, you will be checking in the hotel death. That's what you will be going on. Notice here the irony. These who offer Verse 14, throw in your lot among us, we'll all have one purse. They're offering loyalty, aren't they? And an equal share. Oh, how stupid the person is who who believes that lie. Oh, we're going to lie and wait for the innocent, and we won't do that to you. Some of the drama I bet you experience at school or in life, in business. I mean, this happens at adults too. You find people backstab you, right? Oh, I thought we were in this together. No, I was in this for me. You live like that, that'll happen to you. Solomon is warning his children. And really what he's doing here is he's saying wisdom has that virtue element, doesn't it? Oh, they're promising you what is good and precious and wonderful, but the means are wicked. And what wisdom says is that those means that are not virtuous and good and based in God's wisdom, it cannot produce what you think it will. It just cannot. As Jesus said, a bad tree will produce what? Bad fruit. You cannot expect a bad tree to produce good fruit. Yet the world is saying, yeah, you can. We'll make it happen. Do it our way and you can find happiness. 
So the father says in verse 15, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. You know what this is? Choose your friends wisely. Choose your companions wisely. Choose your heroes, students, wisely. Choose the people you want to emulate wisely. Because the media, your TV shows, music, internet, props up fools and presents them as kings. Prop up fools and present them as kings. You just watch their life long enough, you will see them fall. Yet for some reason, so many kids say, oh, yep, that's the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to dress like them, talk like them, walk like them. I'm going to do everything just like them. If you'll just watch the news, you'll see what happens to them. Observe, wisdom is calling. Observe. Let me ask you, young people, if you haven't, don't check out. This is all about you a lot today. Who influences you the most? Who determines what you think is awesome? Who determines what you think is cool? Who determines how you dress, what you watch, what you do? Adults, who are your business partners? Who do you spend most time with? Who helps you think through the decisions of your life? Is it the wise or the foolish? If the latter, verse 15 says to all of us, do not walk in the way with them. Paul says it this way, bad company corrupts good morals. And that's just not a fundy preacher talking. I'm not saying withdraw from the world. I'm asking, are you influenced by the world? Or are you an influencer on the world? Moms and dads, we need to be equipping our, our kids to be influencers, not sponges. And just not caring what they listen to, watch, not engaging it. There's a way to do it in a gracious, winsome way. Give them freedom as they grow up. And we've got wise parents who are, are, are far, far further along the process than I am, and I'm looking at some of them. You find those, those parents, those grandparents who have raised up godly kids, and you say, tell me how to do this. You'll be a fool if you pass it up. You'll be a fool. I'll be a fool if I don't seek them out. Why do we need to keep our way from those who are swift to do evil? Verse 16, because they make haste to shed blood. Verse 17, he, he gives an example, an, an absurd example of setting a trap. He says, and I have no idea how to live like a wilderness guy like Brennan Webb. Brennan probably knows how to set traps for birds and cook them and eat them and use their feathers for a cool hat. But, um, <clears throat> but he says, if the bird sees you throw out the net, the bird's just going to fly away. They'll never fall for it. But those who live like the world, they lie in wait for their own blood. You know what he's saying? Their whole life is a trap that they set up for themselves. It's a big trap. And they are all scheming and planning, and all they are doing is planning their own demise. That's what he says. The birds aren't even as stupid as that. That's what Solomon's saying. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. 
Oh, how our neighborhoods need to hear this, don't they? I know in some sense I'm preaching to the choir here. Maybe not everyone. But as I, I look at the events on the news, as I, as I know the things that take place in the, in the houses and the apartments right around here, you're here long enough, you see the police come by, you, you talk to, to parents who are concerned, and oftentimes it is this very allurement that has seized their household. Brothers and sisters, let me just talk to us very strategically. This is why God has it us at 1111 Allison Lane. We've talked as pastors in years past, uh, uh, what do we do if the Lord gives us more growth? And right now as I'm looking, we've got seats, but if the Lord continues to allow us to grow, what do we do? And, and, and one of the, the brainstorming talks, well, maybe we need to move the church and, and, and move out 62 where we could maybe find land and, and build a bigger church so we could fit more people in. But you know what your pastors concluded? No, we do not want to abandon this neighborhood. God has us here. There's another way to do that. Plant churches. Revitalize churches. And I want you to know, Gary Yoakum, some of you met him, he's going to help us do that in his role as our ministry coordinator in the association. But the Lord has us in this neighborhood to scream wisdom in the streets. And so everything that we're doing, you're hearing these opportunities for choices in jail ministry and, and Southern Indiana Rescue Mission. And some of you are involved in stuff I'd like to know about it. Things in this neighborhood, in this community, we are to be those like this father telling his son and screaming out wisdom. Do not go with them, come with us. Like Joshua, who is on the football field, who meets Dylan and rescues him. This is a heart for this church. This is your pastor's heart for this church, that we are serving community and and this includes all the relational evangelism all of us who spread out and we live in our neighborhoods and we're involved in so many other areas the lord has given us a bigger footprint than just 1111 allison lane but he has at least given us this one are we doing it here as well as the rest of southern indiana take note of verse 19 because you might be saying i just this seems out of touch you know my kids aren't being enticed to join a gang Verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. What has the dad done here? What is Proverbs telling us? I've just told you what greed looks like. It looks as heinous as a gang going to ambush people and kill them and plunder their goods. And the world is appealing to us in every form imaginable, saying, you can gain and you don't have to pay. It's easy. Just listen to us. This is the mindset of the fool. And, and young people, listen to this. If you don't hear anything, I think this would be good to take away. The mindset of the fool is this. To consider the short-term benefits of sin, but fail to consider the long-term consequences. You get that? The fool only considers the short-term benefits of sin. And I'm not going to lie and tell you there isn't fun to be had. But you will pay, wisdom says. Heed wisdom. 
Last way to heed wisdom, not only to cherish our parents' instruction, to reject the enticement of the world, but to trust the promises of our Lord. At the end of the day, we must trust the promises of our Lord in wisdom's not hiding. Verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. What is, what is this looking like? Wisdom is everywhere. It's, it's, it's being demonstrated. You can find her in the busyness of life. And what's he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that everywhere God's wisdom is on display, at least in the order of creation. Let me give you some examples. You're lazy at school. You're lazy at work. You will pay. You'll get fired. There's a lie on TV all the time on the radio. Might as well play. Could be you, right? I mix up the little slogan. I don't pay attention enough. But the lotto. You know who, who's pride upon most of all in the lotto? The poor. Who give money they don't have on the hopes of making millions. Greedy for unjust gain. Look what happens to them. You can watch those shows on those who win. Oh, it's devastating. Sports figures, when they get out of the, out of the league, what happens? Because they don't have wisdom. They don't know the Lord oftentimes. There's many more. I'm running short on time. This is wisdom's call. This is wisdom's call to you, to you, to you, to you, to you, to you. How long, oh simple ones, will you love being simple? Life's easy right now, but it's going to change in about eight to four years. For those of you who are engaged in this sermon. And you're going to have to start living wisely or it will not turn out well for you. He goes on, he says, Scoffer, scoffers mock God's wisdom. He says, well, are you going to delight in that? Fools, are you going to continue to hate knowledge? And, and here's what wisdom says. Here is the warning. Notice the, the, what happens here. Wisdom cries out and the fool does not listen. Verse 22 and 24, right? Wisdom's everywhere. You're hearing it right now. I'm literally screaming at you, okay? Look at verse 28, what's going to happen if you reject. Then they will call out upon me. You will cry out. And just like you did not listen, and, I, and you did not answer to my call, wisdom says, I will not answer you. I was out in the streets, I was in your church, I was in your home, I was everywhere seeking you out, but you would have none of it. Well, when you start trying to seek me out on that day of calamity, on that day of judgment, you will not find me. Scoffers mock God's wisdom, verse 22, so wisdom will mock when terror strikes, verse 26. Wisdom called fools to turn down her path, verse 24. But fools, verse 32, are killed by their turning away from wisdom. Wisdom is the fear of the Lord and trusting Him with all your heart, but the fool hates knowledge and leans on his own understanding. This section describes the finality of the judgment when there's no turning back. When the storm comes of judgment, 
and you don't have wisdom, it'll be too late. And this is the final judgment when you die. There is no heeding wisdom then. But we get a taste of it through wisdom's discipline in our life. And so oftentimes there are people that we pastor, that we appeal to, we plead with, and we're saying, listen to wisdom, heed our instruction, reject the enticement of the world, and they say, yeah, yeah, we got it under control. Yeah, but you came, you asked for help. You're buried in debt to your eyeballs. You can't get a job. Your life is a mess. Why won't you heed the wisdom? It's too hard. You just don't understand. If you'd been through what we had, you, you wouldn't be saying those things to us. And then the storm hits. And you know what? You get the call. Help me. Help me. Help me. And they assume wisdom's like the light switch. Just turn it on for me, Pastor Chase. doesn't work that way. If you do not cherish her now, if you do not let her inform your path, it's like going the wrong way on the interstate. You're, you're supposed to go west, but you've been going east. You can't find yourself in an instant back at your original hopeful destination. You're going to have to turn around, and all the trouble and junk you went through, you're going to have to go right back through it. It's not going to be easy. Heed wisdom's call. We're going to close with this word, and, and the band can come up. Jesus is true wisdom. We want to trust Him, right? You know this parable, but I want you to hear this parable in light of everything we just said, because Jesus is borrowing it, borrowing Proverbs to teach. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Everyone, then, who hears these words of mine and does them, he will be like a, get this, a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Who's the wise person? Who will withstand the day of judgment? The one whose house has been built, whose life is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. You don't build a house in a moment. But he goes on and he says, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, who built his house on popularity, acceptance, the values of the world. Live for the moment, but did not keep the end in mind. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall. Get wisdom. That's what we're on the journey for, right? Let's get wisdom. Hear wisdom call. And look for wisdom throughout your week. Let's pray, and then we will sing one closing song.